Welcome to the Irish Legislation Podcast with me, Barry Ward, a podcast looking at legislation as it passes through Oireachtas Air in our National Parliament. Okay, hello and welcome to episode 11 of the Irish Legislation Podcast. And today we're going to be talking about the Land Development Agency Bill 2021, which is currently before the Doyle at second stage. Um, and I'm joined today by uh, two TDs um, and people who've spoken and have an interest in this bill and our housing spokespersons for the respective parties. Firstly, um, Francis Noel Duffy, who is a Green TD for Dublin South West constituency, is a Green Party housing spokesperson and an architect. And secondly, Kian O'Callaghan, TD, um, Social Democrats for Dublin Bay North, and also the Social Democrats housing spokesperson, who previously worked uh, as a councillor for 10 years before entering the Dáil and has a deep interest in housing, as, a, as I know Francis does as well. Francis, I might uh, start with you. Um, you obviously are a government TD. Um, could you, so on that basis, could you just bring us through what the Land Development Agency Bill does, and then I'll come back to you for some of your views on it. Okay, um, I'll, I'll do it in layman's terms. I think from what I, the way I understand it, that the the, the bill uh, sets up an agency that um, I suppose, firstly, looks looks at the country in in a way and, and maps out the the state owned land and, and and then looks at it, how can it develop that land in a sustainable way um, relative to the housing crisis. That that that's I suppose simply what my understanding of what the bill is. So the agency has done that mapping. Um, it has already been working with uh, John Leary Ratdown, uh, as you would know, um, working on developing uh, cost rental and, and various other um, social and affordable units. Um, it's it, I suppose it's it, it's it's got a multifaceted remit. So um, it, it it is looking to assist um, local authorities um, in building um, up their housing stock. It also then can buy or purchase um, state-owned lands um, to kind of do the same or unlock 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 even lands um, to allow for development. And then to go further than that, um, look at private private land and, and see where it can open up that as well. So an example would be the collaboration, say, between South Dublin County Council and Dublin City County Council, where they've looked at the lands along the NACE dual carriageway, which, which are predominantly um, 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 commercial and industrial. Uh, I know when I was on the council, I, I would put down changes in the development plan to have that area rezoned because it, it, it sits on or within or around um, uh, the Lewis line, which gives you sustainable transport and that it should be afforded the, the ability to uh, develop housing and, and that community structures. And that that's that there was um, a material uh, contravention or change. I'm not sure that you might know the technical name on that. Um, a number of years back where both councils changed the development plan to allow that area to be rezoned. And my understanding is that that's where the LDA will come in do its biggest work. I think there's a site on the north side as well um, near um, Broom Bridge that, that that's that's a consideration. I'm not sure if it's on any books anywhere, but it's about, you know, finding land that can be developed uh, and it should be, in my, my mind, uh, predominantly on... Um, existing or proposed, you know, sustainable transport corridors uh, that people don't necessarily have to get in a car and drive to work. They can, you know, they can commute um, as they do in other cities. So I suppose that, I think that's in a nutshell, my understanding of the LDA. There's a couple of issues, I, I very quickly say it, um, you can cut me out if you want, is Section 183, I have an issue with the Section 183, um, that, that that 
can bypass councillors um, in um, where um, a local authority wants to sell a piece of land. Normally, the, the councillors have that. That's part of their job to to sign off on that 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 selling of land. Um, it it's been put into this that 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 would be bypassed. If the council was selling and the LDA were going to buy it, that the councils wouldn't get involved. Now, you can, I think, and again, you're the legal man, Barry, the section 139 could overrule that if councillors didn't like what the CEO was doing. Um, so, and I think it's section 139. And the other then other issues very uh, would be that I suppose in the context of affordable housing, that in the cost rental side of things, that the cost is based on the cost the, the the management and maintenance and and a small profit akin to the Vienna model and it shouldn't be based off the market value down it should be based off the cost up um and I think there's been compass yeah I think sorry I was just going to ask you uh, before I go to Kean when you mentioned yeah. the Vienna model there and there's a lot of talk of this in housing circles what yeah. is the Vienna model so in Vienna um they've been very clever for the past 100 years they have been investing in their public housing so we we did a, a really interesting kind of um zoom meeting with the Vienna Greens last week or in government with the social democrats i think uh funnily enough that's me and Kean on today um uh, so and what they have is that i think it's um it's a majority of public housing and the public housing normally it works in and around between eight and 11 euros per square meter. That's the cost of your apartment. Um, uh, there's other mechanisms they have as well, but most people can go in, they have an indefinite tenure. Their children can then take over it when, you know, when they move on or pass on or whatever. Um, and while people can purchase if they wish, they don't, they're, they're happy to, um, I suppose the economics of them, of it works that, they don't need to buy. It's not in their culture to buy. Uh, they're quite happy to rent. And you can rent an apartment, two-bed apartment, for between five and 700 euros in Vienna, um, w- which is based on, as I said earlier, it's based on the construction cost, the um, the maintenance, and a small bit of profit. Uh, when that profit gets bigger, that there's an issue. They've kept kind of the, I suppose, the pension funds, whoever they might be, out of their system because they'd be profit-driven. So the model to date is one of, um, um, you know, non-profit effectively. Um, so it, it means it's very affordable, um, you know, and, and you know, I suppose the the bill that goes alongside the land LDA bill is the affordable housing bill, which enshrines the cost rental into our law. Um, and I suppose... I'm, I'm, I'm hoping I'm seeing signs that that, that that's being really well welcomed um, and should um, hopefully increase going forward. Um, okay, yeah. great. Thanks very much. Um, Kian, I know the Social Democrats have already said at, at second stage that you want amendments to be made to this bill. Can you go through, I suppose, I mean, uh, Francis has given us an overview of what the bill does. What are the Social Democrats' issues with what's in the bill at the moment? Yeah, and I think Francis touched on a, on a couple of them there. So two of the big concerns would be about uh, local authorities, the land development agency being able to, whether local authority councillors wanted or not, being able to take land from that local authority. And there's a number number of problems that that causes. So, so I mean, one is if, if you kind of go back to the start of this and why do we need a land development agency and what's the use of that? It's really, really important, uh, I think, and, and it is good to have a land development agency that will look after the whole kind of 
uh, assembling strategic land banks. And this is something that hasn't been done terribly well in Ireland in the past. Local authorities have done a bit of it uh, where they build up land banks kind of off their own initiative and their own borrowings. But the model that you have in countries like Germany where you have very strong assembling of land banks, you then, you know, the local authority or the municipality puts in infrastructure at the same time and then, you know, pays for that infrastructure, if you like, from effectively doing what we do in terms of rezonings, but that's done maybe by the local authority municipality to get the value out of that and you get more affordable homes at the, at the end of it. That's what we need to move towards. So that part of it's very welcome. The, the concerns about this is that local authorities at the moment are do buy up some land for land banks for housing down the, the line, social affordable uh, housing, that they will decide if they feel that they're kind of cut out by this, by the Land Development Agency, if, if there isn't a really good relationship there. And we don't know what's going to happen there. Uh, it would be a worry that it might develop that way. You know, it may not. Uh, that then local authorities wouldn't have an incentive to, to build up land banks themselves. So kind of one of our main fears here is that rather than this being something additional to what local authorities are doing, it could end up being something that undermines some of the good work the local authorities does. Now, that's all. I don't have a crystal ball on this, and no one does. So I guess when we're looking at the legislation, we're kind of going, well, where could this go go wrong? Is there enough safeguards in regard to this? Is, you know, worst case scenario, if you put in provisions like this, what, what happens? And be very conscious as well that, you know, it, it could mean in situations where if the council executive have a scheme in front of councillors, that there kind of is that kind of, you know, gun against the head sort of scenario where they kind of say, well, if you don't vote for the schemes we're proposing it, the land development agency will, will take the land from you and you'll have no say. So it's this or nothing. And, and does it undermine kind of uh, local councillors in, in that sense? Also, as, as Francis was saying, the definition of affordability, and that ties into the affordable housing bill as well, would have concerns around that. It, it really should be based on looking at what people on average incomes can afford rather than looking at what is the full market price and then working out a discount uh, beneath that. And that, you know, that the Vienna model is very successful. Uh, a lot of housing delivery in places like the Netherlands, Germany has been very successful because it can be accessed by people on average incomes, low incomes, a range of different, different incomes. And we're unfortunately in a situation where that's not the case at the moment. So great that we're moving towards affordability, but really, really important that that's not just kind of affordability in name and a level of discount, that it, that's, it is meeting people's needs in terms of income. So, and then look, there's a range of issues in terms of getting, getting to that point and look, land assembly is only one of them. But if you get land assembly right, uh, it can be a key thing to, to driving down costs and driving affordability. Well, can I ask you about that point you made about local authorities? Obviously, in the past, we have seen local authorities being a developer of sorts in local areas, building housing schemes where they're needed on council land for council tenants. Um, would it not be fair to say that a lot of local authorities no longer have that capacity? They don't have builders on staff. They might have architects and all the rest, but ultimately, they're going to be farming it out anyway. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. So the local authorities don't have the, the build staff, don't have the labourers, don't have the bricklayers and, 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 and so on. And that's absolutely the case. There's a key difference between the local authority, in terms of local authority land, there's a key difference between them managing the project or handing it over in entirety to a developer. So absolutely, they'll have to tender for, for builders, but do they manage the project or not? Uh, and I'd argue that there's a very strong case in terms of cost and affordability for the local authorities directly managing the, managing the projects. So you look at what uh, Fingal are doing up in Dunlemer, Lusk, and they are doing this in partnership with, with Okulon, but it hasn't gone out to a private developer. And they're, you're looking at affordable homes and apartments there at prices that 
most people on average incomes could could afford. Your apartments are starting from about 166,000, and then a, a three-bed home, semi-detached, is coming in at about 258. So, if you're on an average income, you you, you would be able to afford a mortgage on those sorts of prices, and that is coming in considerably less than uh, similar schemes that are you know private developer-led in in, in Dublin, uh, because you know you've, you've you know your private developers will have higher borrowing requirements, obviously in terms of profit and all those sorts of things. So look, private developers have an absolutely key role in terms of housing delivery, but in terms of affordability, I think there is a a, a, a section of people that will need it to be done in a kind of direct build as in direct local authority or another agency leading leading on that. Uh, and I do agree, look, it's it's there's multiple, to, to solve the housing issue, if you like, it's multiple strategies and multiple providers. And, you know, it's not, it's not a one size fits all or anything far from it. My concern in terms of land development agency is that rather than it adding in an extra layer in addition to local authorities, I'd be concerned that it tries to replicate and duplicate some of what local authorities are, are doing. And yeah, and do you not trust the land? I mean, the land development agency has functions set out in the act in terms of, let's say, affordable housing. Do you not trust it to achieve them in the same way the local authority might? Yeah, I mean, that's a, certainly looking at legislation. I mean, I don't think legislation should actually be about trust as such. So it shouldn't be about, you know, that there's a really good minister for housing and really good people at the top of the land development agency. So, you know, I don't necessarily think there, there is a really good minister for housing. I'm just saying, you know, theoretically. But, you know, the it shouldn't be about that because legislation should be robust enough whether you have a brilliant minister for housing, a really poor minister for housing, really good leadership of the LDA, poor leadership of the LDA, that the legislation works in any event. And that's what we're at this part of the process we should be looking at is this uh, is this as strong and robust and as safe as possible regardless of the the leadership or regardless of trust so and I look I think that applies to all you know all legislation that's no comment on anyone involved in the LDA or, or otherwise and there's a lot of expertise and a lot of passion there and that's really positive but mm-hmm. let's imagine in five years time there's a different cohort of people uh, in in leadership there uh, will this legislation be strong enough I, so I, I've my fear is that we're mi- we're slightly missing what the role of a land development agency should be, it could turn into being a bit of a state developer, replicating a bit of what local authorities are doing, replicating a bit of what private developers are, are doing, and not enough focus on strategic land assembly, because that's, which ultimately should be for, you know, if the LDA was strong enough on that and wasn't focused on just on what's public land at the moment and was focused on building up land banks and assembly, that should be then driving uh, land assembly also for private developers, and it's one of the things that hits you know your smaller builders, and and I think we I think we have a key issue, and it does affect affordability in that we don't probably have enough smaller builders and smaller developers, and that that affects your your house prices and does mean you can get local monopolies where one person owns all of the development land. If you had a really strong land development agency, they could be feeding d- development land with good infrastructure and good transport to smaller builders and smaller developers as well. Rather than, you know, and you do have those kind of local monopolies. Like I, I've, I've met developers who literally tell you that they own every bit of development land in the, for, for miles and they own all the new built apartments and all the new built homes and they release them at, a, at particular rates and times to yeah. control prices, which is in their, their interest. And of course they'll do that. Yeah. So trying to have an alternative to that, I think, is potentially what could be missing from the LDA. Francis, what do you think about that? Do you, I mean, do you. I have, do you yeah, well, there's a couple of things. I think. Um, 
One thing I'm learning this year, and I know you are a lawmaker, um, um, Barry, um, and now we are, the three of us are, I suppose, we're legislators, um, but the difference between what the law is and what the LDA are actually doing is quite different. Like from last year, and, I, and I'm still speaking out against the LDA in certain ways because I have been worked for architects that worked for big developers and I see and I can smell what a developer is like. And I, I had a big fear of, of this, 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 um, this bill, I suppose. But what the law the law is saying one thing, and I have issues with that, as I've said. But the LDA at the moment have projected, and they've revised their projections. So they were envisaging uh, 150,000 houses over 20 years, which is 8,000 units a year, and they've rolled that back now to 2,000 units a year, which is less than 40,000, which is quite interesting. And and when I asked them what that why that was, and I think um, Kia might be might have been at that meeting, I asked why. Um, and they said, well, we are now seeing ourselves more as facilitators. And I've also heard the fact that they're not allowed to be off, off balance sheets. So the, the, they have to go with the money that they've been given. And that that has pulled them back and de- therefore makes them more facilitators as opposed to developers, um, w- which I think is really important. I think and, and a couple of other things that um, I, t- I think the LDA's job, in my, my understanding, is to facilitate local authorities. They're not there to go in and buy their land and the only time they get to buy their land is when the local authority wants to sell it um it's not a case that the lda goes in and says we want your land and again that's my understanding of it and and the other thing that's bandied around a, a fair bit is well two things I, I checked this out a year or two ago about um did county councils ever build their own houses um, and the answer is no. They've always gone to a builder or a contractor and, and the work's contracted out. And I'm pretty sure they'd have a clerk who works on that. I'm not sure what the relationship would be in this context, but I would assume that there would be council officials working with the LDA if they're going to develop a uh, local authority site. And the last thing is this. And I think this feeds into what Keem was saying about the, the difference between public and private and the Coulons, um housing on the north side is that. You know, land has got a certain price and it depends when you bought it and that's how much it costs. But labour materials pretty much stay the same. And you can't come in and say you can build something cheaper because labour is fixed. There are, you know, there are all sorts of deals on what a sparky gets and a plumber gets. Um, And and materials are similar. Um, And then there's the profit bit and depending on who's building decides what that profit is. So there's, there's very fixed variables, if that makes any sense. And it's very difficult to you know, go in and say, right, we're going to make it cheaper unless you subsidize subsidize the land, pay labor less wages. Um, now, you could start cutting VAT and tax on materials, um, you know, and the other way is that the state doesn't build, if the state builds non-profit housing and there's very little profit in it, then in my mind, then it'll start competing with the market's uh, value of housing and that should pull it back. But look, we're not there yet. But if it's providing that to people on an affordable or social basis, surely there is a, I mean, there's a basis. So isn't it always said that the big cost component in any construction project is land? So if the if it's local authority land and this is being built on local authority land, then you're, you're saving that big cost component so you can effectively you provide, you can provide houses and apartments at a lower level for people who need social or affordable housing. Yeah, and I think in the context of the cost rental model, um, from my understanding, the, the problem at the minute is, and I think Ian may may have spoken in the Dáil on this as well. We spend about seven hundred million a year on a HAP. Um, you know, 
feeding essentially the private market um, landlords, and that's fair enough. But 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 what we could be doing is if we build enough cost rental units, then we can sub- subsidize ourselves, you know, as opposed to paying off what is profit. That doesn't mean get rid of the the rental market, but I think if you're the, the existing examples we have in Dunleary is I think it's around 800 euros cheaper if you have a cost rental unit over, you know, a regular priced um, rental unit. And you know, that, that's a big difference. You know, and if you can, if we can roll out cost rental, then you should over time and it will take time begin to bring down um, the rental costs. And you, you'd have to think that within that, then it would also bring down um, you know the, the you know costs themselves of 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 mortgage. Sorry, Kian. You said in your second stage speech that the speech that there was um, you you raised the issue of affordability a lot. There isn't actually a single definition in the bill of affordability, is there? No, and this is the the, the way it's going is, and the indications I'm seeing is that it's it's affordability is going to be so. Affordable housing bill is kind of saying, look, if you're not, if you can't get a mortgage on the, you know, privately, then you'll qualify for affordable housing. And there's there's logic in that. But if we're not looking, affordability needs to be defined on people's income and that, you know, you can use up to 35% of your income on your, your rent or your mortgage. And if you're going beyond that, you're it's certainly not affordable. And for people who don't qualify for social housing, if you're on a, an income level above that, you have to be able to, your affordability measures have to kick in for you at, at that stage, whether it's what, cost rental or affordable purchase. What do you say to what Francis is saying there about the danger if we provide, and I think we all want to see affordable housing, but if you provide affordable level, housing at a certain level, you're going to compete with the market and you're going to affect the prices of, of houses for people who who literally don't form part of the affordable cohort. Yeah, well, I, I think that one of the points Francis was making is that if you have a really good cost rental sector, that not only will that benefit the people who avail of cost rental, if you have it on enough scale, that eventually then kicks into the, you know, the your your private sector rents because you'll have an affordable cost rental option that it will be harder for rents to escalate in the in the private rent sector more generally. So to a degree, you want your measures on affordable housing to have a calming effect that benefits other people who may not qualify for affordable housing, may be on incomes above that, but it means there's less price inflation going on, both because you've, you know, you've, you've increased supply of housing and you've increased supply of housing at affordable levels. So it has that kind of calming effect overall. Everyone benefits from that. But you're right, you don't want it to, like, you don't want it to go so far that you end up killing off, uh, you know, private uh, developers uh, producing housing for people, because mm-hmm. then you then you create another problem. Now, at the moment, we're probably safe in, in that regard. Our our affordable housing, our cost rental is is a sufficient level off that we don't have to worry about about that. But you're right, you're right. All these things have to integrate into each other, and it is it is that that there's a whole section of people now caught who just can't afford. Full full market rents or full market prices for for purchase, and and certainly aren't in in social housing uh, cut off points, and and there's a big massive massive you know kind of missing gap for them. Yeah, has that situation improved during the COVID crisis and lockdown, or is it just that we're not hearing about it anymore? And uh, so certainly, what I've heard in terms of the private rented sector, you know, if you look at Dublin and that, there's a good bit of pressure off compared to what it was. So you would anecdotally hear. You know, the, the new build apartments, the ones with the investment funds that are coming in, they're all coming in at high rents uh, and high entry levels. The kind of traditional stock that was rented 
and there could be homes and, and that there isn't from what I hear at, the, at that level kind of you know price inflation going on there's a fair bit of compared to what it was there's a fair bit of availability now I'd still be dealing with people like at a consistency level as we, as we all would who are caught in different traps in this and aren't able to find suitable suitable accommodation to rent I don't think because you know the short term lets the uh, you know the holiday lets for a few days all those are, are out at the moment that's created some extra stock for that some people who are homeless have been availed of to the, to the city councils and local authorities, but also some, some extra stock generally. So I think all that has taken a bit of pressure off for the moment, uh, and, and that's all very welcome. But the, you know, the, the converse of that, I suppose, is that for people who haven't lost income and lost jobs at the moment who are, who are saving uh, for deposits, their ability to save up a deposit has increased quite well in the last, last year because there isn't other areas... Uh, to be spending money on. So you're going to have a, a, a cohort of people reaching their deposits, you know, at the same time. And that'll also be happening when, unfortunately, you know, because the COVID restruct- restrictions, are, our construction output is down as well. And then on top of that, because of the kind of, you know, there isn't returns on, on bonds and, and the, the yields in them at the moment are very low. So more and more money is going into investing into housing and into those kind of, you know, into those REITs and investment funds. So those things together you know, it means that we are potentially reaching a bit of a pressure point. Now, hopefully we can get construction levels back up. And if, if the government's direct build social housing uh, kicks in, we're going to have a lot more homes built through that. And then, you know, hopefully if we, if we can get some decent scale on the affordable and cost rental, that would, that would have an impact. Yeah. Well, you've both identified issues that you have with the bill. Um, maybe, I don't know whether it's reasonable to include you in this question, Francis, but will either of you be putting down amendments? I'm quite sure the Social Democrats will as an opposition party. Uh, if I come to you first, Francis, as a government party, will you be putting down amendments? Yeah, that's the plan. <laughs> yeah, can, we are. Can you like, go through I, any- well, exactly what I said at the beginning, the, the Section 183, I think that the, the definition of affordability needs to be based on um, you know the, the construction cost, the maintenance, and and a and a, and a capped profit. Um, I think the, I think, you know the the. I've always had a problem with the title of the the bill, the the, the agency. You know, profit or developer means profit to me, and I don't think the state should be you know part of that space. So there could be a name change going in as well. Whether that happens or not, I don't know. Um, Yes, yeah, the criteria like that, that, that. I definitely be. I definitely think because there's 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 noise out there about that the, the price will be based off the market value, not off the actual cost. And I think there's problems. People have problems with the fact that 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 opens up that development to pension funds or whatever you want to call them coming in, and that, that then it becomes profit driven. So if, it's going to take time, and I do think that if the cost rental is works. As it does elsewhere, it'll it'll help. And I think Nesk in the 2014 uh, their Crossroads report, they talk about cost rental being the thing that will, you know, pull dampen the the, the heat in, in the market. And and I think that that's where my money is at the minute. Uh, but it's going to take time. Kian, what amendments are you guys going to be putting down? Yeah, no, uh, similar areas. I, I don't know about changing the name of it. I mean, it should be a land assembly agency, really, or a strategic land assembly agency. That's four words. I don't know if you want to go go <laughs> that line. But one of the one of the big areas I would like to see changed in it is around the compulsory purchase order powers. So they're they're very limited at the moment. They you can if you need access land for putting in infrastructure to public lands that the LDA gets they can then CPO that land, but it's effectively limited to that. I would like to see 
you know, what you have in some other countries where you have those kind of compulsory purchase order powers to build up, you know, land banks. Uh, and, you you know, effectively you would be talking about, yeah, agriculturally zoned land and you wouldn't have to CPO them with CPO powers. It gives you a bit of leverage, but ultimately it would mean then, yeah, if someone's not cooperating and you're trying to build up a, a land bank in an area, you could CPO a number of fields. And then that allows you to do that kind of really long-term stuff of putting in the... I, I mean, this is provided for in Part 8 of the bill. You think that the LDA will not be able to do that under the, the way it's currently phrased? No, no and the way it's currently phrased, I mean, yeah. they can, it can CPO, you know, for ransom strips or for infrastructure for, for land that has already assembled, but it can't do general... CPO land, land compulsory purchase mm-hmm. order land assembly and that that to me is all absolutely what the land development agency should be about in, in the long okay. term and to me that would be and, and for the social democrats that would be an absolute game changer for you know it would be effectively you could begin to effectively implement the Kenny report uh, from the from the seventies and start going mm-hmm. down that line and if you're doing that and you're doing cost rental and you're getting other measures around affordability right I mean Noel is right this is you're not talking quick fixes in this part of this yeah. is trying to get some delivery quite quick, but also putting in uh, the the kind of strategically what, what's going to serve us well for the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years. You've both identified the issues in relation to Section 183 of the Local Government Act 2001, which at the moment for listeners, the councillors have the power to decide whether or not the council disposes of land in its in its possession, which is one of the few powers that councillors have retained kind of post-2000 as their powers are whittled away. Um, I may be showing my own views on that subject <laughs> now, but you both identified the fact that this bill will now remove that as far as the land development agency is concerned. Can I ask you about um, the obligations that it places on what's called relevant public bodies? Because in section 49, it also says that councillors, because they're a member of a relevant public body, which is all the local authorities in the state, um, will cooperate with and provide every assistance to the agency in the performance by the agency of its functions. Like, is that not an extraordinary obligation to put on an elected person? Or how do you feel about that lumping councillors in? Because that really covers officials within councils, etc. Do you think councillors should be included in that? I am more concerned, like, you know, councillors and everyone in local authorities should be cooperating and assisting with the land development agency, should be working in, in partnership. So no particular issue with that. I, I, I take your point from a, like a, a legal point of view. Is that creating an obligation that's particularly kind of onerous uh, well, exactly. I mean, for example, if a councillor wants to pass a motion uh, rejecting the request by the LDA to acquire a particular piece of council land, is does that deem them not to be cooperating with the, with the LDA? No, no. I mean, that's that's a that's a fair point, and, and certainly if if interpretation like that would, would hold, then it's I'd, I'd have I'd have serious issues with it. I I, mm. I assume you know that's not the intent of that, but it, but you're right. You see, you have to look at legislation in a cold way it's not the intent mm. of the writer that matters it's the actual effect and yeah. you couldn't have I mean councillors have to be free to support criticise or anything in between the, the, the land mm. development agency and be totally totally free to do that in every sense That's can I just very can I jump in there sorry Kean. Yeah. just on the section 183 the, my understanding and, and the briefing one of the briefings we were given um, it the LDA cannot come to the council and do a section 183 and say we want that bit of land. It doesn't work. That That's not how it's working in the legislation. It's only when the local authority um, has a piece of land that it, it doesn't um, doesn't meet its remit as a housing body. Therefore, they can sell it. 
So it's not now you could go back and say, well, you know, the LDA and the councils have spoken to each other and it's a whole load of land we don't want, but you can go off and build it and, you know, and we're going to sell it. But it, it, if, if any land, uh, what, what happens is when the local authority wants to sell a piece of land, the, the LDA is first dibs on it um, and they can first write a refusal. Um I don't, I don't think there's anything in the the legislation that allows the LDA to approach the council and say we want your land and we're taking it. Um, yeah. I don't. I don't. Now, I have to say on, on on that that's not my read of it. So certainly my my read of it is that the the LDA and any public land the LDA has a right to you know access to go in the local authority or any other public body needs to cooperate with it provide access. It can then do a report. The LDA can do a report on any uh, local authority land that isn't, you know, currently in, being used or, or whatever, doesn't have housing or whatever on it, and subject to the minister approving and signing off, it can then, whether the council wants to or not, or the councillors want to or not, mm-hmm. it can then acquire that land. It is subject to ministerial approval. It has, subject to be, to yeah. it has to be for the purposes of the Act, all right, to, you know, with the intention of delivering uh, housing and on the different tenures that the the act and the minister will specify, but that mm-hmm. power is, yeah. is there. Well, That's quite far what section, Yeah, what Section 56 says is essentially the Section 183 of the Local Government Act 2001 doesn't apply to the disposal of relevant public land owned by a local authority to the agency under the part. And the part in which that is contained is um, the part that deals with the it's part seven, which is the register and acquisition of relevant public land by the agency. So, I mean, I don't know um, exactly how that would be interpreted, but it seems to me, and I think you both read it this way, that whether it's it's initiated by the Land Development Agency or not, councillors will be sidelined in terms of the decision-making process at local authority level as to whether that disposal takes place. Would you both agree with that? Yeah, no, I, I would, but but yeah, but I also read it as that it could be initiated by the LDA, and this is where this is where it could go quite far. And anyway, look, all things going well, there's great cooperation. The LDA doesn't start, you know, undermining what local authorities are doing. It plays a supportive role. That's all fine. But my fear is that legislation allows for, and you, like we all know as well, that there can be uh, at times poor relationships between different public bodies, and there can be rivalry as well, or there could be, you know. And you don't want, it's those sort of scenarios you don't want to kind of uh, facilitate too much. Now, I, I, I get the point as well that, you, you know, local authority delivery isn't always as good as it could be. Though, though I think, you know, the Department of Housing has, has a lot to, to answer for in that in terms of delays and signing off and projects and, and funding and so forth. But, but we also know there's a big disparity between different local authorities and their delivery in terms of housing in different parts of the country mm. and in other areas. And some some councils are very good at it, very keen at and others aren't. So there's that side of it as well. Just to, all I can say on that is the briefing I had, We I think that we had we got a briefing from the department, the party, um, um, and that question was asked. And the response I was given by a department official was that it's only when the local authority, uh, which this is an odd one now, it's only when the local authority does not want to develop land um, that, and they want to sell it, um, and the LDA are interested in it, that that the councillors are bypassed. It and 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 that's fair enough if you're reading it another way. But they didn't say, they didn't tell us that that the LDA can, you know, go to the minister to get the council to release land. That's not like that's kind of a bit, I suppose, a bit 
I don't want to use a mean word, but it's a bit mean by the officials to tell us that to give us a definition of what that means, if you know what I mean. That, that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Section 51 says that a council can't dispose of, of public land unless it has given notice to the LDA um, and offered the land to sale for the NDA within the previous 12 months. So it's, it does seem that there's there's an element to that. Um, I mean, there's an, it's obviously, it's, it's a large bill, it runs to some 56 pages all in. So there's a lot of nuance in there and uh, it'll be interesting to see how it's interpreted. In terms then, Kian, in terms of, of that, like, would you have a problem with the idea that the LDA can take land from local authorities where it thinks it's the right thing to do? Yeah, and, and one of my main fears about that is, is, as I was saying earlier, like local authorities play a good role at the moment in terms of building up strategic land banks. And a lot of them actually are quite indebted because of loans they've taken out to, to buy land. And I'd have a real fear that if this goes the wrong way, that local authorities, the chief executives will just say, right, well, we're not doing any more of that because the LDA will just come along when it pleases and it can, can take the land. So they may stop building up strategic land banks and then we're down something quite useful that's happening at the moment. Uh, you know, so I think rather than the focus being on local authority land and, and just on, on public lands, it should actually be what can the land, uh, land development agency add to this? What new land can they bring into play uh, and that's the much more useful useful role. Look, I understand to get going, it, it's going to be working on some some existing kind of public land sites and, and all that. And I think that's fine and that makes sense. But I think it needs to move into that longer term, kind of adding to it rather than, than duplicating or, or at worst undermining. Yeah, no, one other thing is this, is that the, the LDA in relation to public housing, um, the state public housing, it's only... Um, uh, and 16%, uh, from my calculations, they're projecting they might develop 2,000 units a year. Um, the state are hopefully going to develop or buy up to 12,500 units. So 16% is LDA. Um, if you spread that across the country, you know, it's not massive land banks. Um, so they've gone from doing massive land banks of 8,000 units down to two. And, so, and they said in the briefing we got from them a few weeks back that... that um, they're more they're, they're more now being facilitators because they don't have the money to develop. Um, so that you know that that calms me because I was quite worried. You, you know, eight thousand units, you know, at twenty four thousand units a year, that's a third of the market. If it's thirty two thousand units, where we need to get to, it's a quarter of the market. That's a big developer. That's a massive developer in the state, and the fear of that is it'll all you know it'll start off really good. But I, I'm well. From whatever my life experience tells me, you know, complacency will set in, and if you've got, that's a lot of money being spent um, on an annual basis. Um, anyway, but 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 so if it's sixteen percent and it's a small amount of the market, I I don't see where the massive land banks are coming from. I know in South Dublin we've pushed out things of a thousand units and whatever. That's you know one thousand units is is the all of the work the LDA do for a year. And, and I know in South Dublin, we've been developing double that. And 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 I'll end on this, I suppose, is, or, is the fact that they are trying to look in, I, I believe, into those big land banks of uh, the commercial industrial um, centres. That's where that's where I hope they go anyway. Okay, well, thanks very much to the the um, to both of you for joining me today. And um, the it's that second stage at the moment in the Dáil. I think it's resuming on Thursday, the fourth of Mar March. I don't know if either of you has any indication when it's likely to go to committee stage, or or I know the minister had said that he was anxious that it would pass quickly. 
obviously there's there's plenty of debate left to be had there about amendments and, and interpretation and all the rest. Thank you. Thank you very much for joining. I really appreciate your, your time. And uh, thank you, thanks to you too for downloading and supporting the Irish Legislation Podcast. Uh, please do comment and let us know and subscribe if you can. You can get in touch with me, barry.ward at aroctus.ie if you have any comments for future programmes. Thanks again. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Irish Legislation Podcast with me, Barry Ward. You can get me on Twitter at Barry M. Ward. Don't forget to subscribe and you won't miss any of the episodes as they come up on a weekly basis while the Oireachtas is sitting. <laughs>